Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly royal chat show brought to you from Mail Plus. I'm Joe Elvin and here's what we have in store for you today. Another explosive week in the House of Sussex, would you believe, as calls grow for the pair to have their titles taken away. The frugal princess, and we're not talking about Anne, no, we take a look at how the Duchess of Cambridge gets more bang for her fashion buck. And we're expecting another royal baby, Princess Beatrice and her husband Edo, who had a small lockdown-style wedding last year, have announced they are expecting. But first, today marks the conclusion of the BBC's investigation into Martin Bashir's conduct towards Princess Diana in the run-up to that Panorama interview with her in 1995. The Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, can tell us what the investigation has uncovered. Well, the independent report carried out by Lord Dyson into allegations that Princess Diana was duped into giving her infamous Panorama interview in 1995 has just come out. It has found that the BBC fell short, well short in fact, of the high standards that are expected of it. And Lord Dyson has also found that Martin Bashir did indeed use duplicitous methods to uh, ensnare the princess into giving that interview. Uh, More details will be following later on Mail Plus. Well, let's go to that happy news now, shall we? And a royal baby is, of course, always happy news. And this week it was announced that Princess Beatrice and her husband, Eduardo Mopelli-Mozzi, which I very much enjoy saying, announced that they are expecting their first child together. Let's get the thoughts of the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English. Rebecca, how did they announce the news? Very traditionally, actually. It was an announcement by Buckingham Palace. I mean, there was a few of us that either knew or suspected it was the case, but it's been confirmed. And um, Beatrice and Ido are expecting their first child together in the autumn. I say together because, of course, Princess Beatrice is already a stepmother to um, her husband's five-year-old son, Wolfie. And they must be thrilled. I mean, it's a fairly quick turnaround between wedding and, and baby. Is this something that has been they've been wanting for a while? Definitely, yeah. Beatrice has been broody for a long while. And um, I was told that was one of the reasons when their plans for a wedding last May were scuppered by COVID, that they didn't wait around to have a bigger and grander one uh, once lockdown had finished, that they they ploughed ahead and organised that small, really lovely, charming wedding we saw pictures of in Windsor in July, because she's a very traditional girl, Beatrice, and she was really keen to start a family as soon as possible. There's ploughing ahead and there's ploughing ahead, isn't there, Charlotte? Now, you hinted quite heavily about this news in the Mail on Sunday last weekend. Yes, I had my suspicions because um, I was told that they were shopping for a family home in Woodstock, uh, Oxfordshire. Um, and, you know, with many bedrooms and a pool and a party barn. Um, and, yeah, so my sources were telling me, look, she's, they're, they're starting a family and they need a house ASAP. So, uh, so I sort of hinted at it on Sunday, but uh, they confirmed it a couple of days later. Oh, and Richard, what do you make of the timing of it all? 
the announcement? Um, well, the timing was, was very <laughs> intriguing. Yeah, it's a traditional announcement, but it was made, it happened to be made on the third wedding anniversary of Harry and Meghan. Oh, you're not suggesting any kind of cattiness there, are you? <laughs> well, Surely not. It, it, it is a bit awkward because... <laughs> um, Famously, um, Meghan chose to announce to guests at Princess Eugenie's wedding um, that she was pregnant. And people did think that was very bad form because she was sort of overshadowing Eugenie's big day. So there are people sort of suggesting there could be a bit of um, revenge there. But others insist it's a coincidence. So I like to think it's because I'd revealed that she was pregnant <laughs> practically on Sunday and they thought we'd better announce it formally. Did you think they rushed to the newsstand to see what yeah. you've written every week? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I, don't, no, I, don't, I, I believe that, yes. Edo emailed me this week, so no, no, I think he had read it. <laughs> well, lovely news in any case. And I do want to go back to Rebecca on another big story this week now. Guess what? It's Harry and Meghan with the transatlantic war of words continuing. There have been calls to strip them of their titles. Is this true, Rebecca? There has. So, I mean, who would have thought, you know, a few years ago, Harry and Meghan were riding on a crest of popularity, weren't they? Um, but no longer. Um, so there was a new YouGov poll this week which suggested that six out of ten people either wanted them stripped of their titles, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, or actually restrained by the Queen from using them. Um, I have to say, I mean, I don't think that's in Buckingham Palace's thinking at the moment, um, but it uh, definitely seems to be the mood of the nation. I do think it's worth pointing out, though, that actually this seems to be quite a generational thing because it was very much the, the older people that were polled that were quite judgmental of them and the younger people seem more supportive and of course you know Harry and Meghan by everything they do and say have made very clear they're kind of chasing popularity amongst the younger generations so I suspect polls like this probably don't mean anything to them to be honest. And there seems to be no end in sight to the interviews they're giving they've got all these commercial deals to plug so are we facing a situation where there might be more revelations from Harry that Buckingham Palace have no control over managing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to be the way the wind's blowing, doesn't it, all the time? And obviously, fresh on the back of that podcast that we discussed last week, um, we're going to be getting in the next day um, the launch of the Apple uh, TV Plus series on mental health he's done with Oprah and one of the American newspapers was suggesting this week that there are going to be some more truth bombs as they call them. Um, there's nothing the palace can do about it, they have to wait along with the rest of us to hear what he's got to say but there is an immense amount of frustration as someone said to me last week, they seem to be making careers out of their previous careers at a time you know when they promised the queen they wouldn't do anything to embarrass her so uh, and unfortunately there seems no sign of slowing down mm. i want to bring our panel in to discuss this at the moment charlotte let's start with you the, the stripping of their titles regardless of whether or not the queen is in favor of that gossip um perhaps it does show how angry people are I think there is a lot of frustration and anger. I, I think it's more on the Charles side because Charles's um, team have spent years and years building up his reputation. Um, uh, and, you know, they really got to a sweet spot with him. And he walked Meghan down the aisle and actually the nation has started to really warm to Charles. And actually, I think they still are quite warm towards him, but not thanks to Harry. Harry's trying to sort of undo all that. So his aides are thinking, hold on a minute, our, you know, our project Charles is being ripped from under us here by his own son. So there's a lot of anger. Richard, mm. imagine your king 
for a minute. <laughs> well, what would you do, King Richard? Would you be cutting them loose? I think it is a really thorny dilemma for the Queen. Um, when Harry and Meghan were told they could no longer use their HRH titles, it was made clear privately that stripping them of Duke and Duchess of Sussex titles is something that could happen in the future, mm. depending on what they did. But the implication then was sort of whether it's some embarrassing commercial deal or something. But here, you know, the, the Queen doesn't want to look vindictive or, or petty. And also, I think there's an element that Harry and Meghan love being the victims. And so if it was another thing that was taken from them, they were stripped of their titles, mm. you know, they would kind of dine out on that for the rest of their lives. And remember what would happen, that they would still have the titles of prince and princess. Meghan would be Princess Henry of Wales. Um, and she might actually prefer to be um, Princess Meghan instead mm. of Duchess Meghan. Mm. Uh, so that's his birthright. That can never be taken from Harry, even if he lost the Duke of Sussex title. So I think the palace will want to tread very carefully. It's not something they would do in a hurry. But Yeah. And I mean, Charlotte, it's, we've talked about this before. It's not just an institution. It is a family. So they're in a tricky position. Yeah, they don't want Harry to feel outcast. Um, and they've also got a sort of enemy in the camp. And they've got the nuclear button, which they could press at any moment. They could say who it was that said the supposedly racist thing. There might be any number of things that they could reveal. So if they um, provoke... Meghan and Harry, they could be in trouble. So if I was the Queen, I wouldn't take those titles away. It's mm. just awful, though, isn't it? I mean, you're talking as if it's blackmail, really. You yeah. know, we've got this hanging over you. It's, it's a horrendous way to, situation to be in. To think they're actually members of the family and they're enemies within the camp, but I'm afraid that's how it is. Do you think, again, though, if there's this transatlantic divide, his, Harry's confessionals with their mental health theme do seem to be going over very well in the US. Is that something that's, you know, maybe they are just more popular there? I don't know. I mean, it's um, obviously, you know, it's raising eyebrows a lot here. We had a very interesting article in the Daily Mail by an NHS psychiatrist, Dr. Max Pemberton. He was saying that he thinks it's actually bad for Harry. He probably thinks he's had too much therapy. But obviously there's, there appears to be much more of a sort of culture of therapy in the States, particularly California. But the impression I get from, from America is not everyone's impressed. Mm. You know, that this sort of victimisation and that I'm the victim that we're hearing more and more, it's not necessarily what, what they want to hear. But I'm wondering if perhaps Meghan and Harry have made their peace with losing British fans. Maybe that's just not as important to them. Yeah, I can see that. I think they've, they've washed their hands of um, the UK and they've even shut down their companies over here. I really don't think they're, they're coming back. So maybe they think, you know, it's a lost cause and let's win over the Americans instead. Well, they haven't gone about it the best way this week with yeah. Harry's comments trashing the First Amendment. That seems to have angered a lot of Americans this week. Mm. What's your thoughts? I know. He used a very British word, bonkers, <laughs> um, which is one of the few British words he still says. Have you noticed how American his podcast was? Um, he said highways and things like that. But, um, but yeah, to just trash uh, the First Amendment with the word bonkers so casually like that, um, it just shows how well protected he was by the palace because they would have monitored what he was saying um, when he was still part of the royal fold. And these throwaway comments do not go down well with Americans, do they? About mm. their precious amendment, you know? Well, I think it's sort of slowly dawning on him that maybe America's not so great in terms of uh, media 
sort of intrusion. You know, they were very well protected in Britain. But here he was talking with Orlando Bloom, I think, his Montecito neighbour, about oh, yeah. paparazzi. And this is why he was talking about the First Amendment, because, you know, there are a lot of protections for the press and the freedom of the press in America. Whereas in Britain, increasingly, we've got privacy law that Harry, through his lawyers, has always taken advantage of. So maybe, he, you know, he's dawning on him that it's not sort of paradise over there. Well, it sounds like paradise to me in Montecito, but... What do I know? Well, of course, there is royal news coming from this country as well as across the pond. And Rebecca English is back with us now to tell us about some of the major royal engagements this week. Rebecca, let's start with Charles and Camilla, your besties. Um, they've been over in Northern Ireland, I believe. They have. Uh, and this is a trip that hasn't actually made a lot of headlines in this country, unfortunately. But it is really solid, important royal bread and butter they went on a two-day trip to northern ireland um meeting and greeting communities some of which you haven't seen a royal visitor since the troubles um it, it was all about thanking the communities and community leaders for everything they've done during the coronavirus pandemic in a nutshell really a lot of it was trying to shine a light on great community initiatives out there and thank those who have gone above and beyond over the past year and they're not the only ones heading off on tour, are they? They're not. So we have a kind of mini royal, proper old-fashioned royal tour going on. Um, William and Kate are heading to Scotland. Now, William's actually going there anyway in his role as Lord High Commissioner uh, to the uh, General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. He was appointed that by the Queen last year. Everything got cancelled, so it's rescheduled this year. But obviously, it's really interesting timing because the state of um, you know the Union is, is something that um, is occupying people's minds once again so i think there's going to be a full-on charm offensive um, as well as the ceremonial stuff that william's got to do kate's going to be coming along they're going to be meeting uh, community leaders um they're going to be uh, hosting an N nhs film drive-in uh, evening uh, and they're even going back to St andrews where they met as students 20 years ago um, a bit of a trip down memory lane for them as well Oh, speaking of trips, I see that William actually had a trip to the doctors on Tuesday, didn't he? He did. I'm surprised Bicep Billy is not actually trending on social media at the moment because the <laughs> that seemed to have got more comment than him actually getting the vaccine. Um, he, uh, he posted a picture on social media today saying that he had had his first COVID vaccine at the Science Museum uh, on Tuesday. He just waited for his call up like anybody else and it was given by NHS staff. But what seems to have attracted most people's attention is the picture that they posted as well, which shows William uh, rolling up his sleeve. Now, it's it's not for me to comment. It's a bit weird when you know somebody, but there is much comment online uh, adm admiringly of his um, his toned arm and particularly his bicep. Uh, yeah. It's even been commented on by Holly, Will Holly Willoughby on this morning. So it's become a bit of a talking point. But there is a serious point to it, and that is he's wasted his turn, he's had his vaccine, and he wants other people to do the same. No, but the serious question is, what is his regime to get those guns? <laughs> yes, I think because Harry's also always been known as the action man of the family. I think William, you know, people have been caught by surprise a bit by the sight of, you know, William's guns, as they say, on social media this morning. It's slightly reminiscent of a photograph he took playing water polo when he was a student many moons ago that um, that caught people's attention for various reasons. And I think this is this kind of middle-aged version of that.
<laughs> He's definitely caught the imagination of, of the You magazine team this morning. She has, and I, I'm going to admit this had me in tears this week. It really did. Um, so it's more phone calls that were made last autumn to those who made the finals of a hold still lockdown photography competition. But this one was particularly moving because it was a photograph taken by a granddaughter of her grandparents, and it just showed their hands clasping each other. And we discovered that actually this couple who'd been married for 71 years died of COVID last year within days of each other. And this was taken in their kind of final moments on earth. And hospital staff, even though they were admitted separately, was so kind because they knew it was the end, unfortunately, that they pushed their beds together so they could be with each other. I mean, it just, well, you know, choking stuff. And I think it just goes to show how much that particular project organised by Kate really moved a lot of people. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and just sticking with the cultural theme, lastly, she's been out and about at the Victoria and Albert Museum as well. She has. I was there with her yesterday and they were throwing open their doors for the first time um, since before Christmas. Uh, the staff there were telling me they've only opened four months in the last year and it's left a 30 million pound hole in their finances so it's really important for them to have people like Kate as a royal patron to get out there to be one of the first people through the door highlighting the exhibitions they're doing and encouraging people to get back in and support um, you know their museums and their you know art galleries and, and places like that you know they've got a whole system where it's all very covid friendly social distancing book tickets uh you know i was really impressed when i was there with her yesterday very impressed mm. now the duchess of cambridge has had her wardrobe scrutinized from the day she arrived on the scene but is she a spendthrift or does she make sure the royal wardrobe earns its keep libby galvin has been finding out for us in this special report We've seen her rocking designer gowns on the red carpet as well as high street staples. But the down-to-earth Duchess of Cambridge also teaches us the art of dusting off an old outfit from the back of the wardrobe and wearing it with the same enthusiasm as if it were brand new. Because if it's made well, then it's made to be worn again and again. Yes, even if you're a princess. Take her Penelope Chilvers riding boots, for example. Catherine was first pictured wearing them almost two decades ago at Blenheim Palace in 2004. At £475, they're not cheap, but in the 17 years since, those boots have carried her around the world on royal tours and all the way back to Manor Farm in Darlington, where she wore them just a few weeks ago. That works out at a cost per year of less than £30. Not bad. Let's apply the same calculation to some other Catherine classics. The Duchess has long been a fan of Zara. In fact, this is her local branch, and her red £69.99 blazer is a firm favourite. We first saw it at the 2012 Olympics, and she's whipped it out plenty of times since. Most recently, in November, for an Instagram video thanking everyone who sent in a photo for her project, Hold Still. Over eight years of wear, that gives a cost of just £7.77 per year. In 2013, she wore a chic grey coat from Reese to visit a children's hospice. At £275, it's not the cheapest coat on the high street, but she has worn it many times over the years. Even using it to combat the cold in Aberdeen last February when she launched her early years survey. And what about that skirt suit? Such a classic look for women in the royal family, but they certainly don't come cheap. This one Kate bought from Luisa Spagnoli for £495. We first saw it just before her marriage to Prince William when the couple visited their old university, St Andrews. But she's worn it countless times in the decades since. 
and the trusty favourite now comes in at just under £50 per year. Much more like it. Blue is Kate's colour, so it's no surprise that she wore her £635 Stella McCartney royal blue dress three times in 2012 alone. Since then, we've seen it at least three more times, including last summer when she wore it in a video calling for entries to her photography project. And finally, you'd think your brother-in-law's wedding would be a good excuse to splash out on something new, but not so with Kate. The outfit she wore to Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018 was the same one she wore three years previously at Princess Charlotte's christening. And keep an eye out, because if I know the Duchess, we'll be seeing that cream Alexander McQueen outfit again very soon. It originally cost an estimated £10,000, but over time, and with rewares, that's down to just £1,666 so far. Still extravagant to you and I, but not so bad for a future queen. Right now, coming out of what will hopefully be the last lockdown, it's tempting to want to take part in some much-needed retail therapy. And in an age where every social event ends up on Insta, it's easy to kid yourself that you can't wear the same outfit twice. But Kate's wardrobe choices show us that you can. And when it comes to making the most out of her clothes, the Duchess of Cambridge is clearly keen to give the frugal Princess Anne a run for her money. And with that, we've come to the end of our show. My thanks to our brilliant guests, Rebecca English, Richard Eden, Charlotte Griffiths and Libby Galvin. And of course, to you, we'll be back next time with more news from in and around the royal palaces. And in the meantime, you can sign up to our Palace Confidential newsletter to get weekly royal updates fed straight into your inbox. Sign up, just go to the link on the screen now and we will see you next time. Thank you.